On August the 21st, the day after my retirement mass and party, I went down to Maryland to see my aunt and uncle, as I've done for many, many years now during the third week of August. This year, however, something was different. My uncle was in a nursing home recovering from a stroke that he had suffered a couple of weeks before. On Thursday, the 24th of August, they brought him home and they put him in hospice care. It's very difficult to see my uncle in that condition. He's 87, yes, and his health has been declining for quite some time now. He's a retired Army colonel and he's always had a very commanding, engaging presence about him. People have always loved to be around my uncle. But the stroke, combined with the dementia he was suffering from previously, has really taken its toll, making it very difficult to communicate with him in any kind of meaningful way. In fact, with the exception of my aunt, he doesn't always know who people are, even people in his own family. I'm sure many of you can relate. You've dealt with similar circumstances in your families. But through it all, my aunt has really been amazing. In fact, she's the reason I'm mentioning this in my homily this morning. Although my aunt is 85 herself and not in great health either, she was at that nursing home at least twice a day at her husband's side, encouraging him and trying to communicate with him in spite of the fact that he was often saying things that only he could understand. And then when they brought him home on Thursday and my uncle got restless and disoriented at 2 or 3 a.m. My aunt got up, went to him in the other room where they had placed the hospital bed to comfort him, to try to calm him down as only she could as his wife. She did that every night that I was there, depriving herself obviously of some sleep that she certainly needed. Was a great witness to me of the truth of today's second reading from Romans 12, where St. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. When we first hear a scripture passage like that, we may think of the great saints and martyrs of the church who literally offered their bodies to the Lord in some special service or in martyrdom. And the text certainly does apply to them. But the passage also applies to people like my aunt. It applies, in other words, to people who make the sacrifices that are necessary to fulfill their vocations in life well, whether it be the vocation of the priesthood or religious life, the vocation to be a husband, wife, mother, father, or a single person out there in the world. Scripture scholar William Barclay put it well when he said in one of his books that St. Paul's message to us in this verse is, and here I quote, take your body, take all the tasks that you have to do every day, Take the ordinary work of the shop, the factory, the shipyard, the mine, and offer all that as an act of worship to God. That should be our daily intention as disciples of Jesus Christ. 
But if we're going to do that as his disciples, we're going to have to think differently than most other people do. Let's face it, most people in the modern world do not see their daily, ordinary, mundane tasks in such spiritual terms. They're just things that need to be done, period. There's nothing spiritual about them. Which is why St. Paul adds the next verse. After he tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, St. Paul says, Do not conform yourself to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Jesus said we're supposed to live in this world, but not be of the world. People who are of the world, or what St. Paul calls this age in his text, those people would have said to my aunt, why are you bothering going to see your husband in the nursing home twice a day? He barely knows who you are. He hardly communicates with you or anybody else. And five minutes after you leave, he doesn't even remember you were there. My aunt thought differently. Because my aunt has allowed her mind to be renewed by the truth of the gospel concerning marriage and the commitment of marriage, my aunt didn't conform her behavior to the wisdom of this age. Rather, she discerned that it was God's will for her that she go and visit my uncle every day, whether he remembered who she was or not. That was irrelevant. If we want to do God's will in our lives, we have to allow the Lord to do this for us. We have to allow Almighty God to work on our minds and to give us a different perspective on reality, different at least from the typical worldly perspective that most people have. Now we do that, we allow God to renew our minds in three ways. I got these from Father Francis Martin in a talk he gave several years ago. We renew our minds by thinking of holy things, praying about holy things, and talking about holy things. How often do you engage in those three activities? How often do you think about what's holy, pray about what's holy, and talk to others about what's holy? If you're like me, you don't do it often enough. In this regard, the fact of the matter is we are all works in progress with this. Fact is, none of us has a perfectly renewed mind at this moment, and we never will on this side of the grave, but we always have to be striving to move forward. Think of Simon Peter. He's a perfect example of this. You know, the gospel passage we heard a few moments ago from Matthew 16 follows immediately the passage we heard Last Sunday, as you'll recall, in that other reading, Jesus asked his disciples the question, Who do you say that I am? And Peter responded with his bold profession of faith. He said, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. See, Peter's mind was renewed. It was renewed to the point where he saw Jesus differently than other people saw him including perhaps some of the other apostles. Most other people back then looked at Jesus Christ, and what did they see? They saw a smart and really powerful rabbi. And that was it. 
Peter looked at Jesus and he saw something more. He saw the deeper reality there. He saw the man that Israel had been waiting for for centuries, a man who had a unique and special relationship with God. But it's very clear from this gospel story, Peter's mind was not completely renewed. Because when Jesus talked about the kind of Messiah he was going to be, namely a suffering Messiah, Peter said exactly what a typical Jewish person of his time would have said. Oh no, Jesus, that can't happen to you. Everybody knows what the Messiah is going to be like. The Messiah is going to be a great and powerful leader who's going to bring back the glory days of Israel. He's not supposed to suffer. He's supposed to conquer. To which Jesus responded, as we heard a few moments ago, Get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle to me. You're thinking not as God thinks. You're thinking as human beings do. Thanks be to God, Peter eventually got it right. It took him a while. <laughs> had to go through a few more falls. But he finally had his mind renewed on this point. Which was one of the major reasons why he eventually offered his body in the ultimate sacrifice of martyrdom. Peter was martyred in Rome by the Emperor Nero in what is now St. Peter's Square. We will probably not be asked to make that kind of sacrifice ourselves. Probably not. But all of us will be called to make sacrifices like the one my aunt has made in her life. We will be called to offer our bodies to God by doing hard things, difficult things, unpleasant things in order to demonstrate our love for others and to live our vocations well, to live our vocations as God wants us to live them. It's my prayer this morning that we will be as successful in our self-offering efforts as my aunt has been in hers.